Welcome back to the hum and the holler and to our year-long adventure through the fables of 2022's calendar, Beloved Stranger. These fables are published on our website on the first of every month, and then we read them aloud right here for you on this here podcast. <laughs> we talk a little bit about what's coming up in this part of the story. Just as an FYI, the fables themselves, the ones you're going to read on the website, those are appropriate for all ages, but these podcasts where we get into it all might not be. So you might just want to listen ahead if you're planning to listen to this podcast with any younger or sensitive ears. That is right. And we'd like to remind you that we want to hear from you this year. If you go to abacuscorvus.com slash podcast, you can leave us a voice message. We'll have a bonus episode later in the year that features your voices and stories, and you can check out the details on the page that I just said. And we'll put it in the show notes. You can also check out The Hum, which is like a bonus sidecar to like the motorcycle of this podcast, and that is our monthly astrology podcast that I offer you. The next one is going to drop on August 26th in time for the Virgo new moon on August 27th. We are so glad you're joining our conversation and our story time throughout this year. We are Abacus Corvus. I am Joe, and I am alive in the hills of Madison County in Western North Carolina on stolen Cherokee land. And I am Karina, and I, I am very sleepy. But alive. I, sleepy but alive on Lenny Lenape land, uh, known as Philadelphia. And before we jump in, just like a huge, sweet, warm hug to all of our Patreon supporters. We are so grateful for you. And a huge, warm, sweet hug and welcome to everyone who doesn't support us on Patreon. You are also very welcome. Um, Joe. Yeah. Joe. Yeah. We are, we've, oh my God, we've got to chapter eight. It gets so eight good, y'all. Out of 12. This is, this is where it gets very exciting, I believe. I believe. So we are in chapter eight. Do you want to read it to us? Very much so. Chapter 8. The Teacher In the blue hour right before dawn, Crow awoke in a forest that wasn't her own. It sounded familiar, though. She heard the first few timid bird songs and more voices joining into a welcoming chorus that swelled through the treetop canopy. And if she listened just right, she could hear a gentle, jazzy rhythm of woodland scuffling on the ground below her. Crows have very beautiful voices, but right before dawn is their time to observe silence. Until the sun has risen, they fly quietly or stand still in order to listen and attune to the day in particularly crow-like ways. It was in this private moment that Crow heard something exceptional, a crashing, rushing, dragging kind of noise, and then her tree was shaken by a large animal scratching up against it. Typical deer behavior, she muttered to herself, but when she looked down, she couldn't be sure it was a deer. It had the back legs of a deer, and the shoulders of a deer, but beyond that it seemed to be an assortment of plants, much like the forest floor itself. Vines, mosses, flowers, 
broad leaves, ferns, and mulchy dead leaves, all gathered around an invisible center that was rubbing itself against the tree. The creature was so large and so strange that she remembered the mountain, the roses that grew on the mountain, and her heart leapt with an irrational flutter of excitement. She flew down half from curiosity and half from courtesy to make the acquaintance of this dweller. It was not her own forest, after all. From a lower branch she could see that there was a deer's face under that headdress, that it was a full-grown stag whose antlers supported the weight of all that plant life. Noticing her, the stag stopped scratching and courteously nodded his head. She bobbed her head in return and then asked, "'Friend stag, I'm from a distant forest beyond that mountain. I'm curious to learn more about your ways here. Can you tell me about your beautiful headdress?' This seemed to strike the right chord as the stag stretched his neck proudly to be admired. But deer think and speak and do everything more slowly than birds do, so before he could answer, Crow had even more questions. Crow remembered the story of the anemone and the hermit crab and thought this could be something similar. She was intensely curious about how animals might all be helping each other. Animals and maybe plants, too? She kept her questions coming. Or perhaps this is a friend of yours that you carry always with you. Or are they poisonous plants to threaten your enemies? Do you keep the same plants when you drop your antlers and grow new ones? And finally, since Crow was quite romantic at heart, she excitedly asked, Or have you sworn an oath of mutual love and protection to each other? The stag looked confused. He lowered his head and shook it a few times as if to clear his mind. Crow rushed in again. Oh, or maybe I'm mistaken and you're trying to get free from these plants. You must have just stumbled into a bush and got them caught on your fine broad antlers. Here, I can help you pluck them off. And Crow fluttered toward a dangling vine and was about to grasp it when the stag bellowed. No! Crow flew off a little ways, cawing in alarm, then landed on a higher branch, and they were both silent for a moment, Crow preening her feathers and the stag tossing his head to adjust his flowers. Well, that was very rude, Crow thought to herself. But perhaps the plants were poisonous after all, and stag was trying to protect her. Then she remembered that deer need a lot of time to think before they're ready to speak, which helped her forgive the fright he gave her. After what seemed like a very long time to crow, the stag began to speak. I liked you most at first, he said, when you recognized my beauty. You could have stopped there, and I would have thought well of you and your people beyond the mountain. <laughs> he snorted a little and pawed the dirt, then continued, I don't quite understand everything else you've said, but you certainly like to rush in and make up stories. Because of that, I'm afraid I can't tell you any more about my headdress than you've already noticed. It is beautiful, and it is mine. Whatever else I say is bound to be taken up like some shiny trinket to weave into another story which is not my story. 
Crow hopped from foot to foot on her branch and bowed a little, feeling nervous and ashamed. I apologize, friend Stag, she said finally and clamped her beak tightly to keep from launching into explanations or asking even more questions. The stag seemed satisfied. He nodded to her again and began to wander off between the trees, picking his way with regal grace. But before he was out of sight, Crow couldn't resist asking one more question. Your beautiful headdress, she cried out. How does it help you? What is the benefit of it? Without looking around, the stag replied, I adorn myself because I adore myself. But why? The stag turned his head slowly and held Crow's gaze. A silence fell again as the stag pondered the question and Crow held in all her many other questions. Finally, he answered, You seem to believe everything has a purpose, and if you don't know its reason for being, you cannot let it be. I feel sorry for you, Crow, because if you can't see beyond usefulness, you'll miss out on so much strange beauty in the world and in yourself. And with haughty, delicate steps, he disappeared into the trees. Now it was Crow's turn to fall silent and feel confused. She liked the sound of strange beauty. It reminded her of the mountain, and even of the rock in her nest. But what strange beauty was there in herself that she wasn't seeing? The stag was the strange one, wasn't he? As she asked herself these questions, she felt a pressure building, somewhere deep below her quick and curious mind, as though a rushing river was about to overflow an inward dam. Thank you, Joe. And having just spent some time with it, what strikes you most in this chapter of the story? I think there are two things. And one, one is just the, the newness of the character of the stag. Just that we're on the other side of the mountain. You know, this feeling that we're on the other side of the mountain and we're getting... Um, Crow is meeting a new kind of person. Um, there's something very exhilarating and some, maybe a little bit of, you know, when you're watching stand-up comedy and you have like empathy nervousness <laughs> or like, or some kind of tweeziness. I have a little bit of that around Crow. Um, probably, Korea and I think have we've talked about this and I'm just going to come out with it because Crow is a lot like us. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like we are like, oh, but also, oh, but also, but why, but why, but oh, blah, blah, blah. And there's something, um, maybe the part that really strikes me is that part at the end where something is happening below the mind. Mm -hmm. um, this might be the first time that, that the narrative brings us deeper than Crow's mind. Mm -hmm. 
And that's very exciting for me. And it's, it's kind of what grounds me after the nervousness of, of hearing her talk too much or miss the, miss the mark of connecting with this new and strange person. Totally. Totally. What about you? I mean, the first thing that jumps out to me is how familiar Crow's incessant questioning is <laughs> for me <laughs> and specifically mm-hmm. in my relationship with someone who is very much like a beautiful stag. And <laughs> it's very funny. You know, I remember when we were working on this chapter and the smugness I got to feel while I was writing Crow's parts and being like, oh, that silly bird. Can't really figure it out. And then immediately immediately went and did the exact same thing to my partner and was like, uh-huh. Oh my God, <laughs> like here, here I am writing my shadow side. Right. And mm-hmm. so one of the first things I'm struck by in this chapter is that even though this is a fable with a moral, the moral is subtle and shifting at times, mm-hmm. right? Like we're really talking about how do we encounter the other whether that's external or internal. And I think they're more related than we often give them credit for. for. Um, But how do we encounter the other in a way that's truly present and engaged and respectful and curious and connective? And what we're seeing in this chapter is not Crow behaving terribly. You know, Mm -hmm. Crow isn't being like a complete jerk. Crow is just being a little clueless and a little wrapped up in narratives that she's not really aware of. Right. And right. even in that, you know, she, she kind of misses a chance to connect. Mm-hmm. And so I, res- but I she, resonate and I empathize. <laughs> totally, totally. But she gets um, a pretty profound teaching. Yeah. Yeah, the teaching. Okay, I'm going to nerd out on astrology for a second. Okay. The teaching for me reminds me of the polarity between Pisces and Virgo, where Virgo is an energy that wants to know, how does this work? What is this for? What is its purpose? How can we perfect it? How can we tweak it? You know, it has a restless, hurrying kind of energy. And Pisces is an energy that is interested in slow and beautiful strangeness and does not need to justify the experience of that it doesn't need to know what can't be known yeah also or what isn't known Mm -hmm. now we're in the realm of my relationship with my partner (laughs) where we had a really tender talk that where we landed with it reminded me of just like wow i when I confront something that is utterly unknown, it's almost like I don't even know I am confronting it because of how many stories I'm already telling about it. And what I was sitting with, I've got a lot of Virgo in my chart. My partner has a lot, my partner has a lot of Pisces in his chart. And he, I was just sitting with, and maybe even trying to try on this reality of just, allowing the unknown to be exactly that he just doesn't make up stories (laughs) about what it could be and I you know I like to make up stories that's a creative thing but also just noticing that there might be something something in the experience of accepting the unknown that's tricky for me one of the stories from my life that this chapter reminds me of is 
in 2013 when I was doing some work trade at the first ever queer astrology conference in San Francisco. I had recently moved to the West Coast from Philly and I was experiencing a lot of culture shock on the West Coast just in terms of the speed at which I do things versus other people and our, our speech mannerisms and all sorts of things. So I was at this conference, I was at the meeting for organizers and work traders to kind of figure out what needs to happen as we, as we get it going. And I noticed that I showed up ready, ready to have a list of tasks and ready to accomplish tasks. And that one of the organizers who is very Bay Area Pisces human began the meeting by just very quietly sitting cross-legged and wondering what needed to come through and sitting in silence like that for a while. <laughs> and it was a very new experience for me <laughs> as a way to run a conference. <laughs> you know, what's funny is as you're talking about this, I'm also remembering that I have some pretty strong Pisces in my chart too, right? So that I have both. And... um that's its own tension, I suppose. Because as you're saying that, I'm, I'm resonating with both the organizer and you so strongly. What I love about this chapter is that if we pull back our lens on what are we even doing writing these fables, Crow and Stagger are really the same character, right? Like, we, yeah. What? <laughs> like, there is, there is a way... Okay, I'm just going to get really tripper. We don't we don't need to have this be the lens. Yeah. This doesn't have to be canon. But I'm trying out a theory, which is that uh -huh. Crow has gone through the mountain. Okay. The roses have have informed Crow that she was going to be different on the other side. Who are you even going to be on the other side? And so uh -huh. she's in like a mirror uh -huh. image of her own forest right now. And this is the first encounter she has in this forest. Mm. And my theory is that everyone she meets is specifically teaching her about herself in a way that the characters on the other side of the mountain did not. Oh, hell yeah. No, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Great, I guess it's not too weird. Oh, I'm sorry. Just because I'm with you does not mean it's not too weird. Wonderful. Karina, if we are going to try on Crow's perspective, put yourself in the body of this uh, curious, quick little bird... You want to do that and let let us know what what you notice as the crow? Yeah. Oh, it's so embarrassing. Mm. It's just so embarrassing. It's like this feeling of being so excited to connect and completely failing to connect. Mm -hmm. And the the earnestness and the eagerness and the quickness and the and the the sense that connection comes by filling the space between you and someone else with more and more words. Mm. And then the kind of heartbreaking feeling of that not being the way mm -hmm. of needing to kind of have, have your words thrown back on you and needing to do some time and reflection um, is hard. It's, hard. it's a hard feeling. I feel, I feel very tenderly towards Crow in this one. Mm-hmm. But how does but how does Crow feel? Oh, your Crow feels the tenderness and then or Crow feels the embarrassment. You feel tender towards the Crow. 
Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I think Crow is feeling. I think that I was jumping out of the feeling of Crow very quickly because I was like, "Ouch!" Yeah, <laughs> you <totally>. know, <laughs> totally. It reminds me of times that I have really put my foot in my mouth around things that were important. Hmm. All right, let me see what happens. It's interesting. I can relate to what you were sharing, but when I go into the crow, into the crow perspective, what I'm seeing is just our painting of the stag. I'm just, mm. I, like, I have just this sort of like almost burned in image of this incredible creature and their incredible headdress and their incredible unknowable face and you know, and I think I also might have to hop out a little bit to explain this feeling, but I have the sense that Crow doesn't feel as crushed as mm. you remember <laughs> feeling being able to immediately recognize the feedback that you were getting. I see. It was crushing for me because I realized I had caused harm. And you think yeah, Crow we, isn't quite realizing that yet. And here. I think you had a context for it. And I think Crow is like, I think one of the things I'm, I'm feeling is like, she's in this sort of like, um, I like strange things. I like beautiful things. What am I missing? She's still you a little know, more like, defended. Yeah. She's still a little more defended, but there's this, I think maybe the image of the stag's face is sort of similar to this like feeling of there being this like pressure. Like there's something that she just experienced that she's not quite facing, but that it is with her. It is with her in her experience. It is now part of her and um, we'll see what she does with it. <laughs> totally. Totally. Right. I don't know how to work this thing in, but I also just want to say something Great. maybe a tiny bit off topic, which is that I, I want to be explicit about what this image means to me. Mm. And that to me, this is an incredibly queer image. And oh, yeah. I just, I want to like dedicate this image and this chapter to all of like the queer and non-binary and trans kids out there who are, um, seeing a loss of civil respect and, and rights and autonomy right now in a way that's really incredibly enraging and, and heartbreaking. Mm. Thanks for that. Karina. My friend. What's coming next as a reader, as a reader and not a writer? What do you feel is coming next? This is really easy for me because I always forget what we've written. And I know it's harder for you, so I'm just going to answer it this Sounds time and you don't have to. great. I think that Crow is going to continue on a journey of discovering strangeness in this forest and encountering what in her needs to transform in order to be in real relationship. And I think... This is a journey that that is like it's like a snowball rolling, rolling down a hill at this point, mm -hmm. you know, where it's inevitable. It's the death. Exactly. It's the death card. 
it right? Is, it's just it coming. Is, it is happening. Exactly. Happening. And that's it. We did chapter eight. Welcome to the end of chapter eight. <laughs> the last thing we want to do is just friendly reminder that our calendars are about to be in our hands and they are about to be shipped to you and I'm so excited to see them and uh, pre-orders if you've already ordered one thank you so much we're going to ship them out over the next week hopefully we can get them all out before I go drive up to Philadelphia to be with my sister <laughs> um, and if not we'll get them to you when we come back down and if you haven't gotten one yet uh, there will be less waiting. You can just get one and then we'll ship it to you. <laughs> I love that story. Hey, Joe, before we close. Yes. A few things. Hey, good people. You can always follow us on Instagram. At oh, yes. Abacus Corvus. We got a website that's got a shop on it. You can also go there. AbacusCorvus.com slash shop. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. And, and, and Joe. Yes. I have a question for you, my friend. Oh, good. Oh, good. If you had majestic antlers, what would you want to adorn them with? Mm, the first thing I saw was, like, when you're going through, like, your mother's or your grandmother's or your auntie's, like, sewing stuff... And you find that little like old lace trim that's all wound up in a ball. I was just imagining that just really oh, yeah. strung around, but then probably also some twinkle lights. Ta -da. Ta -da.